0: All right. Good morning, everyone. I just want to take a moment to thank uh, Shana for that wonderful presentation. <laughs> <laughs> You're not fired. All right. It's fine. It's great. It's entertaining, actually. <laughs> uh, so if you... If you don't know, we're talking about hope today. And so my prayer is that every one of us would be filled with hope, a little bit more hope maybe than we have right now. Um, and I believe God can do that through the preaching of the word. So we've come now upon this, what we call the season of Advent or Christmas, uh, both. It's traditionally a time of year that we remember the birth of Jesus. For Christians. And I hope this is true for all of us. All the festivities and the special meals and the decorations and the lighted tree and even the gifts that we exchange all point to Christ. It's all an effort to celebrate the, the, the wonder of God coming into the world in human form. And of course, we can lose sight right, of all the 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 deep meaning of Christmas we can lose sight in the just the shopping and all the craziness and all the uh, the busyness of Christmas and even all the good things that are supposed to be pointing to Christ we can kind of forget so it's important to always breathe meaning into everything that we are doing but about two thousand years ago a child was born in Bethlehem no ordinary child he was fully God and fully man. The one who created the world entered the world. He created as a baby. In one sense, he came into the world to give us a fuller understanding of who God is, sort of how to, you know, teach us how to live, right? Um, Scripture says, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. But the real purpose was to die. Christ came into the world to atone for the sins of the world. 1 John 3, 5 says he appeared in order to take away sins. The coming of a savior into the world was what the Jewish people had been longing for for thousands of years. Jewish prophets foretold of one who would appear to establish an everlasting kingdom. This is just one example of what God spoke through the the prophets in the Old Testament. This is Isaiah chapter nine. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name, the name of this coming Messiah, Jesus, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Now the tradition of Advent centers around the great Christian themes of hope and peace and love, and we always finish with joy on Christmas Eve this year. It's not as if these things were non-existent before the arrival of Jesus. They did exist in faint expression and often in the form of promises. But the arrival of Jesus was like the dawning of a bright light that shone into our darkness. Jesus came to solve the deepest universal human needs. Every generation since the beginning has experienced a desperate longing to be delivered from things like hopelessness and guilt and just the internal darkness and sadness. The longing for these things, the human longing for these things is really the subject, isn't it, of countless songs, poems, literature, even now in recent years, films, It's often behind conflict and war. Our inability to find these things can drive us mad and has led some to even take their lives. Humans will pay any price in the hopes of finding peace of mind and true happiness. Uh, We look for it in all different kinds of places, right? We we look for it in material things and human relationships. We look for it in our careers. We try to find meaning in that. We look for it in travel. We look for it in therapy and medications and sexual pleasures and drugs. But none of these things seem to get to the core of where the problem resides. Some of these things might help us cope, provide a sort of temporary relief, but they don't get to the root. As Augustine said, the heart is restless until we find rest in him. So the first of the Advent themes that we're going to talk about today is hope. And it's a commonly used word. That simply means this. This is more of a dictionary definition of the word hope a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. And we use the word in a variety of ways, right? We hope, for example, that we will do well on a test, or we hope that it doesn't rain on our wedding day, or we hope that we can get married at some point, or we hope that we can get a job, you know, the job that we applied for recently or get into a particular college, you know, we use the word hope pretty frequently. But this use is a little different from how we say we have hope that we will, for example, win a game, or we have hope that our business will do well this Christmas season. When we say we have hope, it implies that our hope is grounded, in something, reason. It's rooted in reason. Our hope is anchored to something solid. If we were asked, for example, uh, why we have hope that we will get a particular job, we might answer that, well, um, I personally know the owner of the company. Uh, I had a great interview. I know that they are hiring right now, desperately. I know that I'm qualified. Those are concrete reasons to have hope that I will get the job. So our hope in that case would be strong and rooted in something solid. Now hope is not a thing we either have or don't have, right? It's more of a thing that It's a little fluid. It it kind of fluctuates. It can be weak. It can be strong. We can have our hopes dashed. Hope can diminish over time. Or it can grow. Sometimes we're just flooded with hope. Uh, Sometimes we can lose all hope. Or we can be renewed in hope. So it's something that changes. And like I said, I hope that I hope that, and I think it's rooted in something solid, the word of God, but I hope that your hope will be greater by the end of this message than it was at the beginning. So when we talk about Christian hope, we aren't talking about hope for a better job or a better house or a better whatever, anything like that. We're talking about the hope, listen, The hope that we have that when we die, we will be received warmly into the arms of God. It's the hope of eternal life. The hope of glory. It's the hope that one day we will see the face of God and we will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. It's the hope that All that the Bible teaches regarding paradise and the glorious new city will, in fact, be true. It's the hope that there really is a God and He really does love us and He really has prepared a place for us. That's the Christian hope. Now, the need for this kind of hope is universal. All humans, really in every generation, are deeply concerned. They might not show it, but as humans, we are deeply concerned about what will happen after death. The Bible says all people are in bondage to the fear of death throughout their lives. Which tells us if people are fearing something, it means they're thinking about it. They're concerned about it. They may push it off. They might suppress the realities of death because they are afraid. They don't have answers. It's scary to think about those things. But all humans are eventually confronted with the fact that their bodies will expire. We will all die. That is a certainty. And all humans hope that whatever happens in the next life will be good, right? Maybe you've been at a funeral where someone said, well, he or she is in a better place now. Humans have an innate sense that they will return to whoever made them. And they have an internal sense that they'll have to give an account of their life to this great whoever is out there that made all of this. The scriptures put it this way, Romans chapter one, verses 19 and 20 say, for what can be known about God is plain to them, to people, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made So they are without excuse. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. For this reason, humans search for clues to the meaning of the universe, right? I'm gonna get a little philosophical today. They try to find God. They invent religions to give some sort of hope To themselves and to their children. They labor to come up with reasons for hoping that it will go well for them after they die. For example, you know, they perform religious duties or they try to be good or they do charity work or they offer prayers and sacrifices and they believe certain things and so on. They do it to build a case for the hope that they have. If someone asked them what the reason for hoping that after death that they will be in a better place, they would list out some of these things. Why? I mean, you've probably asked people that. You know, I mean, that used to be a, the evangelism question. If you were to die today, you know, why would? God opened the door and let you in, something like that. It was like a thing in the '80s or whatever, in the '90s. It was like an evangelism explosion question that you know people were supposed to pose to non-Christians. And you know the the answer to that question usually has to do with these things. I'm a good person. I give to the poor. I do this. I go to church. I I you know whatever. I'm, I'm I try to be the best person I can be. And. Kind of those things become the grounds that people have for hoping that in the next life, it will go well with them. But here's the sad and almost pathetic thing about the attempt of us as humans to have hope in a better life after death. It's often not grounded in anything Real. It's not grounded in anything solid at all. When I was a young adult, I definitely had a hope in a wonderful afterlife. On our psychedelic drug trips, we would hope and imagine what things would be like after we die. We would talk of the next life as like transitioning into the mysterious bliss that would be like the ultimate drug high. And we would at times be so hopeful that we would kind of whip ourselves up into feelings of ecstasy or excitement about life after death. But it was all a delusion. In honest moments, I realized that my hopes for a good afterlife were not grounded in reality at all. There were vague hopes, not grounded in anything real. What reasons did I have for hoping that I'd live forever in bliss, in some kind of creator's paradise? All my ideas and feelings about the afterlife were a mere speculation, fantasy. They were nothing more than the imaginations of my heart. And it's what we'd call a false hope which could be defined this way. Confident feelings about something that might not be true. Or another definition is this, an expectation that is extremely unlikely to be satisfied. That's false hope. Religion gives false hope to people. Now, there are thousands of religions in the world. Religions attempt to explain the afterlife, to give people a reason for hoping that in the next life, they will find heaven or paradise, or be reincarnated or something glorious will be happened. They'll be absorbed into the good energy of the universe, or whatever it is. The problem is that religions are made up by people. They are fabricated by man to explain the universe. They are man-made systems to give people the illusion that if they practice the rules of the system, as they should, then good, something good in the afterlife will await them. But listen, it's all made up. It's all wishful thinking. Some religions hang their hope on the fact that their religion is thousands of years old and that millions of people follow it. It must be true. But just because something is old and popular doesn't make it true. Now, I want to say here that it is understandable that humans hold on to some kind of religion to give them hope. It's a scary enterprise to begin knocking the legs out from underneath the religion that you were handed as a child. It's terrifying to come to grips with the fact that you really have absolutely no idea what will happen after death. It can be devastating even to our mental health to realize that all of our hopes of being in a better place after we die are mere wind. They are nothing but fanciful fairy tales. Before I became a Christian... I was very interested in kind of talking about these things, philosophy, and I think it was from my dad, who was a philosophy major in college and just loved to you know, provoke me, provoke questions. And I just loved to talk with my friends about afterlife and God and just what's true and morality and all that. I didn't really know what I was talking about, but I, was, I enjoyed thinking about those things. But one thing that shook me at one point in my reasonings, was simply realizing that all religions could not be equally true. You know, you think today everybody, oh, it's like all roads lead to one and, you know, everybody's religion is equal. You think that's like a thing today that just emerged like in the last five years or something. No, this was, this was around and alive. Uh, this was a huge part of the way people were thinking 35 years ago. All religions are equal, you know, we should just respect and just honor all the different religions or different ways to God. Now there are overlapping elements of religions, but if one religion says there's one God, and another religion says there are millions of gods, they can't both be true. If one religion says God will judge us for our sins and another says there is no judgment and that we'll all be beautifully absorbed into the eternal light, well, they can't both be correct. It's what we'd call a philosophical absurdity. When you get outside of it all, it cannot be true that there is and is not a God. Outside of everything there is what we could call an ultimate reality that is what it is, if that makes sense. So the real question is whether anyone can really know what that ultimate reality is. Or if everyone is just guessing, that was my question for years, does anybody really know Or all these religious books and different opinions and all these scholars and theologians and philosophers, is everybody just giving their best educated opinion about what really is beyond the grave? And that was, I think, the start of my quest in my late teens. Can God be known, or are we left to just pick an explanation of the universe that we like best. Now, this is where the Christian hope emerges like a bright beam of sunlight into the darkness of human uncertainty and despair. The Christian faith is not... Just another man-made worldview to explain the universe and give us reasons for hoping in an afterlife. Christian hope is not mere wishful thinking. It is rooted in something real. We could even say someone real. It is rooted in a person, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Scripture says that Christ is within us. The hope of glory. Christian hope is a living evidence burning within the heart of eternal life. It's a full persuasion. A deep conviction. In the book of Peter, it says, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for, the reason the, for a reason for the hope that is within you. That's 1 Peter 3, verse 15. What is the reason we have hope that when we will die, we will see Christ and be united with him forever in his kingdom? I mean, is it just because the Bible says so? Is it, is it because our parents told us really sincerely that all this stuff is true? Is it because, you know, we were raised that way? It, it must be true. Is it because the Christian faith has some pragmatic elements that seem to kind of work for our lives, and maybe you've been asked this question, I have many times in sharing the gospel with people, how do you know that what you believe is really true? I mean, it's a fair question because we, as Christians, are very bold at times and confident and assured in what we are saying. So it's shocking to people. They're essentially asking, what is the reason for the hope you have that after you die, you will live forever in Christ's kingdom? Is it rooted in anything? And most people, even religious people, are agnostics deep down. In other words, whether they hold to a religious belief or not, they don't know with any certainty What will happen after death? I mean, they believe there could be a God or gods in some kind of heaven or paradise, but they really have no no assurance whatsoever. But in the Christian faith, we have astounding reasons for hoping in eternal life. We have evidence proof. Now, I don't think it's helpful to argue about whether or not we have absolute airtight 100% certainty that Christ is the only true God and that he has saved our souls. Because listen, as flawed human beings, I think we are incapable of having absolute 100% airtight certainty about anything. I mean, are you even certain you're really looking at me right now? Are you even certain that you exist? I mean, you can get crazy philosophically about, like, how do you really know that you know something? That's a whole thing in philosophy. But what we do have in the Christian faith is an anchor for our souls. Hebrews 1 puts it this way. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. What Jesus made possible for us is something called assurance, or as the great hymn puts it, blessed assurance. It's a deep conviction or being fully persuaded within. The reasons that ground our faith really are multi-layered, and we could we could do a 40 part series on this. There's so much that goes into building the mountain of the hope that we stand on. It's alive, and it's substantial. That's why the writers of the New Testament said things like this. 1 John 3, verse 2, say, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will has not yet appeared, but we know, this is the language of the New Testament, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. 1 John 4, 13 and 14 say this, by this we know, there's that language again, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. We know. Again, it's not, absolute, airtight, 100% certainty. But it is such a full and burning persuasion that we can declare with boldness, we know. Where does this strong hope come from? I mean, what are the reasons that we have for this hope? When I first heard the message of Jesus As I said before, I was a young adult. And so I was kind of questing for a while and getting really confused in the quest. Like, I don't know if anybody knows anything. I think everybody just has their best educated guess about what, you know, what is beyond the grave and who God is and all that. There's so many different opinions about it. But somebody came to me and brought the message of the gospel really clearly. And they kind of hammered it over and over to me, and I pondered it for several months. I was told about the promises of God. I was told about the man named Jesus, who was God, supposedly, and died for the sins of the world. I was told that Jesus rose from the dead, and even some of the evidences of that that were just very reasonable and incredible. I was told Christ was the only true God I read the Bible. It was kind of ringing true, to be honest, at the time, but it all still seemed like a fairy tale. I mean, I felt like, I don't know, this is too good to be true. It's hard to believe this stuff. I mean, I had so many questions and doubts. I mean, Who were these writers of the Bible? I mean, how do we know that this book wasn't made up by people? I had some questions like that. How do we really know Jesus rose from the dead? I learned about the early disciples, how they were martyred for their beliefs, for believing in the resurrection of Jesus. I learned about the promises of God foretold about Christ and how perfectly Jesus fulfilled these prophecies So that started to break through. Little by little, my faith was increasing, but I still wasn't sure. Despite all the compelling arguments, I I, I just like, I couldn't get there. I just, I don't know, I don't know. I was just such a skeptic at heart. I mean, the Christian faith seemed good and beautiful, but I don't know, is this really true? I just wasn't convinced until I had a personal encounter with Jesus. See, our hope is not grounded only in the message of the gospel, but it is confirmed by an undeniable experience with the living God. When I finally opened up my heart to God, because that was kind of the issue. I didn't really want to give my life over to God. I wasn't even sure who he was or if the, he was even up there. But when I finally just kind of broke, and I don't think it was something I did. He kind of did it to me. I don't even know how that works, but I just found myself broken before God and just saying, okay, you can have me. Three specific things happened. And I want to say here, because I think this is important, That the impartation of hope, for me, was a sudden thing. For many, it's not sudden. It happens gradually. But whether sudden or gradual, those who are genuinely born of the Spirit will experience similar evidences of God, the life of God within them. Okay? Here they are. First, I had a sudden acute awareness that God was real and present. I knew that he could see right through me and into all I am. I knew he was aware of all my sin. For the first time in my life, I became aware of just how much guilt there was inside of me. It was, it was as if all of my sins from like 20 years were visible to me and they felt like stains that could not be removed. You know, to say I was overwhelmed is an understatement. The sight of my sin and guilt was horrifying to me. But the experience of horror didn't last long. It was just a few moments, really. The presence of God suddenly washed over me and suddenly flushed away the guilt and left me with a feeling of just, I don't know how to explain it, but just be feeling clean feeling new, feeling, feeling like I could just float. Almost as if I had never sinned. I mean, I knew I had sinned, but somehow I really felt like all of the heaviness of my sin and guilt was just lifted away. It was a very tangible experience of just feeling forgiven by God. The second thing that happened was that the darkness within me disappeared. It was like a great light shone within me that dispelled the thick darkness of sin and despair. I wasn't just a sad person. I, was in dis- I lived in constant despair over a number of different things in my life. Before this light came in, I didn't even realize how dark things were. It was kind of my normal experience to feel sinful and depressed. Pride, rage, bitterness, lust, jealousy, misery, addiction, selfishness, all just strapped themselves around me, hung over my life like a thick, dark cloud. But suddenly the cloud was gone. Whoa, where did that go? What remained was what I would describe as a liquid love. I was swimming in it. It was overflowing in me and out of me. It was like nothing I'd ever experienced. My heart was made new. And later, as I started to really understand the scriptures and you know, read, the, read the word of God, I found that, it, oh, the scriptures call this regeneration, or a new birth, I was born again of the Spirit. The love of God was imparted inside of me, and I was was different. Now for years, it wasn't just like I wanted to be a terrible person. For years, I was trying so hard to be good, you know, to love people, to break free from addictions. I tried to reform my life, over and over, but I just couldn't do it. So I knew that this infilling of love that changed my heart was, it was not my doing. This was the very life of God within me. And the third thing that happened was a profound reconciliation or restoration to God. God. You know, I did always believe in God since, I think, childhood. You know, that there was probably a God. I even shout out prayers at times. But my daily experience was that I felt distant from God, disconnected, lost, estranged. I felt like if there, if there is a God, he, uh, definitely, I, I definitely don't know him. And I, I, I have no idea what he thinks of me. But something happened that changed all that. I suddenly felt like a beloved child, lavished by the Heavenly Father. I suddenly had the door open to me and I found fellowship with God. I found myself spiritually empowered even to converse with God. Like It just felt easy to talk with God naturally, frequently, all my cravings for sinful pleasures didn't go away, but they were greatly overshadowed by my desire to know God. And I became obsessed with wanting to get closer to God. I suppose someone could give some kind of psychological explanation, you know, for all this, right? You know, but we are designed by God, and i think we are designed to recognize god when he appears to us i know that i know that i encountered god in those moments everything i read after that experience in the scriptures was explaining what happened to me and what began on that day in 1989 has continued till this day it's not gone away <laughs> it wasn't just this one time little blip of a experience thing that happened maybe I ate something the night before and had a weird experience or it was some like uh, latent LSD that was in my system that reemerged or something like that listen if I had a touch of hope on that spring day in 1989 now Decades later, I'm standing on a mountain of hope. Everything that has happened to me in the last, I did the math, it's like 12,000, about 12,500 days of me walking with Jesus. Everything that has happened in those days has only built the mountain of hope greater that I stand on. Thousands of answers to prayer. Thousands of encounters with God in different ways. Miracles that I've seen. Times when I've heard the voice of God. Everything that I've studied and thought about and read has confirmed and just solidified what I believe. And again, I am a question asker. I am skeptical about everything. I've questioned so much stuff through the years, but it just keeps growing my faith. Christian hope is a sure thing. Romans 8 puts it this way. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Listen to this. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, that we are children of God. Do you get that? That God the Holy Spirit bears witness. God the Holy Spirit basically speaks to us, declares, proclaims to us in our inner man, you are a child of God. I am your God and you are mine. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Ephesians puts it this way, in him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So our hope is not merely a vague, wishful thinking. It's not based on imaginations. It's not a man-made religion that we're standing on this morning. Christ is in us. And he is the hope of glory. He is the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. And so let us rejoice that we do not merely have a set of beliefs to hold on to, but we have a living Savior Jesus Christ, and we have a personal relationship with him. Amen. Amen. I think it's fitting to uh, sing some songs to rejoice over these great truths. So I'm going to ask the musicians to come back. They have a couple more uh, treats for us, a couple more songs to do. And I'm going to ask you guys to let's stand up and just sing and celebrate in this place today what God has given to us in giving us hope.